At CFB Winning Edge, we are working hard to update our 2021 FBS team profiles with new stats and information, player and coach ratings and rankings, and projected depth charts to reflect transfer news, injuries, NFL draft decisions, and super seniors taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility from the NCAA. In our final push before we make our new 2021 team profiles available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters, we're offering Tier 2 access to new Tier 1 patrons who sign up for an annual membership in the month of March. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who help fund our show, annual updates, and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash Edge for more info. Welcome back, everybody, to the CFB Winning Edge podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. We took a week off. Uh, we took a week off, recharged the batteries. And in the meantime, today we are going to be talking about defensive linemen, of course. Uh, kind of following along in our uh, position series that we've been doing. But uh, ooh, Les Miles had a bad week while we were gone, a bad couple weeks while, while we were gone here. And uh, Kansas is now looking for a new head coach, Nick. So I guess just uh, dive in on, on um, you know, we don't have to talk about what Les Miles did. I mean, there's plenty of articles covering what a scumbag that guy is. But uh, he is out at Kansas, and they are looking for a new coach. And just I'm, t- I'm telling you guys, the, the the notes that Nick made for this are substantial and awesome, and just the potential hirings. I love the way you did this. So uh, fill everybody in, if you would. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it certainly is the uh, news of of the week, and. It's, you know, as you mentioned, we don't we don't have to dive into all the all the gory details. The USA Today has done some uh, incredible reporting about Les Miles specifically about his time at LSU and uh, all the, the goings on there. And, and so uh, there is there's plenty that's been written about and, and said about it for sure. Uh, but, yeah, thinking, you know, football specifically, it's, it's a really interesting job opening. It's arguably the hardest job in college football. I mean, it's a a power five school. It's a basketball school. It's, uh, you know, obviously has some real world problems that that have to be dealt with. Uh, It is incredibly difficult to win there. It's it's difficult to recruit there. Uh, There is a, a, you know, Kansas does have a, a junior college uh, pipeline that's somewhat helpful, but we've seen Kansas coaches in the past. Uh, Charlie Weiss specifically went really hard on, on Juco uh, transfers. David Beatty did a little bit of that as well, and it, it really didn't work out. But yeah, it's it's a, a really, really difficult place to win. They have had some success in the past. I mean, they you know, everybody's mentioned uh, over the last week or so, how in 2007, Kansas was ranked number two in the AP poll, uh, was undefeated at like 11 and 0 or, or whatever it was. So it's not that long ago that they've actually had some some real success there. But it's it's gotten really really bad 
uh, over the last decade. And it's, you know, you got to be kind of creative in, in how uh, you go about things there, it, it seems. And, and so right now with the job uh, officially opening Tuesday or excuse me, Monday night, uh, it's got people thinking, okay, you know, what should they go triple option? That's been a talking point for, for years now, uh, to try to, you know, mitigate the, the, uh, talent disadvantage that, that Kansas has got, uh, there, but there's also some thinking that, you know, maybe that's just not the right path either. Maybe that's just sort of a, uh, quirky thing to, to, to say, but, but really that's not the, uh, best path of success there. So I went through and, and I've looked at some of the, uh, you know, early coaching candidate lists that, that have been out in a variety of different outlets. Uh, there are plenty of triple option guys like, you know, Ken Niamatololo from Navy, Jeff Monken from Army, who has, I believe, mentioned if he took a, a power five job at, at some point in the future, wouldn't necessarily take that, you know, triple option offense as, as quite as, uh, uh, traditional as it is right now for for him at Army might you know look to evolve it a little bit. I think Ken Niamatololo said something similar in the past as well. But you know those guys have a an option background. Guys like Troy Calhoun and out Air Force uh, as well. You know Paul Johnson, former Georgia Tech coaches, uh, not really a name I've seen mentioned along this. He he quote unquote retired from Georgia Tech, but it seems that he might have an interest in. Uh, you know, maybe maybe getting back in at, at some point, and this would be a, a situation similar. Uh, you know that that might, in theory, work for for Paul Johnson. But there's a lot of different guys as well. We're we're seeing proven program builders. There are several coaches at the G5 level who have built programs, whether you know starting in Division three or even NAIA, and moved up to uh, the FCS or and then FBS. Uh, programs currently. There are G5 head coaches on the rise. There are assistants, whether they're at Power 5 uh, programs now or, or, you know, scattered about the country. There are guys who've been recently fired. Kansas has certainly recycled plenty of uh, former head coaches, relatively big names in the past. And, and a couple of those are, are popping up as uh, potential candidates. And, and then just sort of looking over the list of the last couple of years, guys that have been fired from powerful, you know, power five programs that might get another opportunity at a place like Kansas. Uh, so Andy Staples on, on Tuesday uh, put out a story where he mentioned a successful high school head coach in Arkansas, Kevin Kelly, uh, who's known you know, to, to media folks and, and some college football fans as the coach who never punts. He's, uh, you know, kind of getting a little bit of, of uh, buzz over the last 24 hours or so in, in connection to this opening. You know, Kansas could go the Herm Edwards route, kind of the CEO type guy. And that's a little bit what Les Miles was supposed to be, you know, a couple of years ago when they brought him in. Uh, but, we, you know, maybe this is a situation where a guy who's been out of the game for a couple of years uh, gets back in, or, or maybe is a you know former relatively big time head coach. Maybe he's on a uh, an NFL staff or, or you know in an analyst role or something like that. But but pretty far removed from uh, being a, a head coach. But I mean you know Kansas is is a is a really tricky spot, and uh, you know they the last head coach who was successful there is Mark Mangino. He was hired. 
when he was the uh, offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, moved over to Kansas and, and had a lot of success there. But Mangino's been, you know, out of out of coaching since 2016. He's he's retired. Uh, so, you know, there, there's just some there are many ways this could go. And I kind of have. I kind of have what I think might be the quickest path to success. Uh, what I think might be the the you know route that uh, to me I think is even though it's very very early is a little bit proven as hey this this actually can work and it can work relatively quickly. But I wanted to get you guys' thoughts first. Like when you heard this, you know, when you heard this news uh, that this job was probably going to open because of the uh, just sort of gross things that have have occurred there, and and it just seemed okay. All right, they're moving on from Les Miles now. What you know, you can go anywhere because all the other head coaching jobs are are filled. Whether it's you know a current sitting head coach, whether it's somebody who's uh, a free agent or unattached, or or you know what direction would you guys go? And then I'll tell you what the right thing to do is. Uh, okay, <laughs> so this is almost a guessing game for us. Uh, well. I honestly thought that they would probably go with an interim head coach for uh, the rest of this year. I can't remember who took over for less or who is in charge right now, but I figured they might I don't know go. If they've even named a, an interim. I thought maybe, they did. Maybe they I did. I did. I did. I did. They have, usually they, you have to usually. Uh, yeah. Who, who is uh, it? Uh, well, on. while you guys are hold looking on. that up, I thought <laughs> maybe, maybe they would go with um, made this whole whoever, big list. And didn't yeah. Whoever the interim head coach is. Uh, oh, for Mike DeBoer, just hired yeah. as the offensive coordinator. Right. So maybe they go uh, that way for a year, and then after that, because, you know, the coaching cycle has pretty much closed here. And you can go get a head coach right now, but I don't know if it's, you know, and you can obviously have your pick of the litter right now, too, because you are the only job open. But with all the weirdness that went on, I just don't know if anyone's going to really be willing to – uh, take over at, at, at this point and, and leave their current job. It is still the off season, so there's plenty of time to do that. But I thought maybe go with the interim uh, for a year and then because you can really bring in a whole new staff in the off season. So that was kind of what my thought process was. Plus, you know, I mean, not to be mean or anything, but it's not like Kansas is going anywhere this year anyway. So maybe you, uh, you know, inject some new life. If you wait in the off season during the signing period and all that stuff, and bring in somebody big, but I understand that if they make a move uh, quicker than that, Xavier, what are your thoughts? Stay far, far away from the big name coaches, please. Uh, you tried it with less. I, I see Nick. You have, I think you do have Tom Herman on here um, as one of the candidates. Stay far away from these guys. Uh, the, the, the unless you're trying to just put butts in the seats, then fine. Bring in Tom Herman. Uh, and, and, you know, get another big name guy to come to Kansas and, and try to reshape the program. But personally, I think they should go. They should stick with an interim for the year, uh, like Scott said, and and just wait until next season, until maybe a job, maybe a guy gets fired and a job opens up that is uh, and a guy opens up that they really, really like. I think that that should be the best option for this team, because at the end of the day, trying to convince somebody to come to Kansas right now in the middle of heck Georgia state started spring practice today. So in the middle right. of spring, when you're, you're, and you know, you're trying to put in a brand new system or anything like that, it's just a, a, a cause for failure. I mean, at the end of the day, we don't expect much from Kansas anyway. So, I mean, in that regard, they might just say, well, heck, we were probably going to go one 11 anyways. Let's bring in a new coach 
regardless. But personally, stay away from big coaches if I'm them. Uh, stay away from GM-style coaches as well because when they go to small schools and they actually do succeed, then they almost have all power, and you don't want that from a head coach in any sport, let alone college football. So I think you go after a guy like a Lance Leopold next year um, and, and a guy that has shown you growth throughout his tenure, and that's what I would do. I would stay far, far away from any big-name guys, though. Well, so, so what Nick, is we the were, right we were, way? Yeah, yeah, I was like, what, we were, what's we were the right way? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. You know, they, they've tried the big name and, and that adds up. I mean, they had Charlie Weiss. They had Les Miles. Uh, they've gone the, you know, recruiting route. That's what David Beatty was supposed to be. He was a, a Texas A&M assistant known for his recruiting ties in the state of Texas. That was going to be the big thing, raise the talent level. And, and you know, then he got impatient, went the Juco route and, and just couldn't couldn't get it going and, and just couldn't win enough games. They just weren't weren't good enough, weren't, you know, weren't able to develop those guys into, into consistent winners. So I understand that. And Lance Leopold, you, you brought him up by name. He's in the, the list of, you know, pro, proven program builders, guys like Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan, Willie Fritz, who has, uh, I believe, some connections to the state there. Um, Lance Leopold has, has had a lot of success at Buffalo and prior to that, of course, at the Division Three level. Uh, Skip Holtz is getting some mentions. He's been a lot of different places, had success at the G5 level. So that, that kind of guy makes sense. You might not be able to get your top pick. I mean, would Lance Leopold, you know, is, I mean, this is a, a weird thing to say, but is Kansas actually a much better job here on March 9th, 2021 than Buffalo? I mean, should he maybe wait, uh, win another, you know, uh, eight, nine, 10 games, whatever at, at Buffalo in 2021, and then maybe look to, to take a, a big shot? A lot of those guys, you know, Creighton, Fritz, Leopold are, are, a little older they've they've you know put in a lot of years at lower levels to uh to get to where they are now so maybe you know fritz specifically i know has been mentioned you know he, he seems to really want a power five job so maybe this is his last you know best last shot at it uh maybe his only shot at it so you know maybe, maybe he he jumps but some of these other guys might have a little more patience, a little more time. Maybe they're not that interested in. There are some G5 coaches on the rise. Sean Lewis getting a lot of buzz at Kent State, higher scoring offense in the country and just four games and, and played two of the worst teams in college football in those four games. But still, it's done a lot of good stuff there. He's popping up on a little list. Uh, Jay Norvell at Nevada. I don't necessarily know if that's a, 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 a an upgrade for him. I mean, he might make more money at Kansas, depending on how everything goes. But, you know, if Nevada's set up, I think the challenge for the Mountain West title next year. So, you know, maybe you go for somebody like Mike Bloomgren, former Stanford assistant news at Rice, uh, somebody like Mark, uh, or excuse me, Mike New uh, at Ball State just won the MAC title there. You go, you know, a lot of different up-and-coming assistants. But I, I've seen now – like Graham Harrell. Uh, I, I kind of like that one because, you know, participating in the Big 12 for a while, uh, going to a big school at, at USC – and if he okay. plays, if, if he's there for a little bit and, um, you know, succeeds at USC, maybe he can drag some USC transfers over to Kansas with him. So, uh, and, and that, that so, could be a start. If we're yeah, going to go with a guy like that, no, I was, I was, I was going to say, if we're going to go with a guy like that, then I mean, Byron left, which needs, his name needs to come up as well. 
Yeah, if we're like, what you leave in the NFL offensive court, yeah. yeah, would I see that? See, that's that's the that's the tricky thing because yeah, you could Fair. go like yeah, I'll, I'll take a hot shot. I'm not sure Graham Harrell would even want this job. Yeah, very true. He, he's in line to to potentially get uh, a better head coaching job in a year or two if USC does, you know, go out and win the Pac-12 this year. They're going to be among the favorites, top two or three uh, in in the Pac-12 in our preseason power rankings, I'm sure. And and so, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that kind of coach and and up and cover like that doesn't want to take a job on Kansas, which could be basically a career ender, you know, but there, there's one, one thing that, that, and I don't know if this is replicable and I don't know if he specifically would be interested and, but what Deion Sanders is doing is really interesting. And he has immediately taken Jackson State, only coached two games, right? And it, and it hasn't exactly been the smoothest of sailing, uh, you know, off the field or, or, or whatever. Uh, but Deion Sanders immediately came into a program and, and sort of brought a, a giant spotlight one, uh, but also – immediately was able to raise the talent level. Like David B- Beatty was supposed to do that, right? Because he's this, known as as well, uh, this this recruiter. Great. But, you know, nobody knows when he got hired. Nobody knew who David Beatty was. Kids, high school kids, and, unless he had actually recruited them to go to Texas A&M, it didn't, didn't know who he was. People know Deion Sanders. He's a Hall of Fame player who's on TV every weekend. Also has, you know, high school coaching ties, coached in the Under Armour All-America game. So he goes to Jackson State and and turns it into a national story. But bigger than that, you know, or or most, you know, important to on-field success, brought in six, seven, eight Power Five transfers immediately. So, you know, it's a little bit different. Jackson Jackson State won probably, I'm pretty sure, outdrew – uh, attendance-wise, what Kansas did uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, they they draw pretty well. They have they have a rich history there, uh, a lot a solid fan base. Uh, they're certainly in in the last uh, couple of years has been a little bit more of a, a uh, you know more interest in HBCUs specifically, and and so it might be kind of a unique situation, not just with Dion, but with with Jackson State. But if he or if there was somebody else out there who kind of had that strange combination of Hall of Fame player with a little bit of a coaching background with the ability to recruit guys to say, hey, come on, I don't care if we haven't won a game in three years or, or whatever it is, but come here. It's going to be fun. You're going to, you know, we're going to play an exciting brand of football. Uh, you're going to have a, a staff that's super high energy and, and you know, just whatever. But I wonder if that Deion Sanders you know, two games into his tenure at Jackson State, if if there's something that can be taken from that, maybe that's the path of, of you know, quickest, uh, you know, the quickest road back to respectability at Kansas State would be the Deion Sanders model, whether it's Deion Sanders himself or I don't know if there's another, you know, anything close, any uh, anybody close to Deion Sanders that Kansas could get. But that that to me, hey, you want you want to bring in uh, ten, you know, P five transfers, and and just immediately kind of breathe new life into a program. That might be the the path of least resistance there. 
Uh, Xavier, you seem pretty adamant to be <laughs> against that. Uh, you don't you don't like this idea? I kind of like the idea. You know, I don't know if anyone as big as Deion Sanders is going to want to go to Kansas, but uh, I, I like the idea. Why Why would he go to Kansas when his job is? Why would he go to Jackson for- State? Yeah, I mean, well, because he well he had he had to make a, get a step into college football, and what a, b- better way for prime time to do it than with an HBCU? That that was just it was it was a match made in heaven because he was okay. going to get all of the. But range, it already seems the- a little bit bumpy there. Like he right. seems to Perfect. already have some things in the in the yes. uh, uh, you know with the and administration there that's just not quite. Uh, yeah, I don't Correct. know. So may- maybe he's not going to be there super long. But hey, I proved it. I won two games. Let's go to Kansas. Perfect. You're right. I absolutely agree with you. It's got it's gotten bumpy there, at Jackson at Jackson State already. But his job is already made for him. Florida State's gonna come a calling in two years, and it's his job. I mean, I don't. I think the writing's on the wall with Norvell. He has another bad season. He's out. And Dion is a perfect. You talk about restarting the brand of Florida State, and Dion Sanders is your head coach. I mean, you're. I mean, you're box office at that point. Just you'll be on primetime television just to see what Dion does, win or lose. So primetime television. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, yep. yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think I think there's no way that he ends up going to Kansas and he holds out for that job at Florida State because that's where he wants to go. I think the writing's on the wall for Norvell. He has another bad year. He's gone, and it's Dion job. Job is primetime in Tallahassee. He's going back to Florida State. So oh. I, I I will admit I thought when Dion Sanders got hired. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I was just like, this is like this, like what? Uh, like, uh, no way. Like this, how can you hire Deion Sanders to be a, a division one head football coach? And it did not take me long at all to, to see, okay, all right, now, now I'm a believer. And I, and I get it. I mean, yeah, Florida State makes, makes some sense, but Florida State's not open. Kansas is open. Kansas is a power five program, you know, it's and, cute. and maybe, yeah, absolutely. I, I get it. But but uh, I don't know. And, and there this could go any variety of ways. I, I cobbled together this this list that we're talking about. I've mentioned most of the names, but there's probably 20 names here. Everybody from recently fired. You mentioned Tom Herman, Kevin Sumlin, Will Muschamp, Chad Morris, Joe Moorhead, guys like that who've been fired over the last two or three years. Uh, you know, mentioned some uh, assistants. Kevin Kane is now. Uh, at Illinois was the the defensive coordinator at SMU last uh, last year. Kind of a, a young coach on the rise as, a, as an assistant is a Kansas alum, so you know you could go that route both with the young assistant and, and with the Kansas ties. You know, a guy like Phil Longo makes sense. An offensive coordinator moved up to, to North Carolina. He's been a lot of different places over the years. Has had a lot of success, and you know maybe he's ready for uh, a head job like this. So this could go in in many 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 different directions but again i think if 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 it were Deion sanders or if there's anybody close to that that can kind of recreate that immediate buzz he built uh and the immediate influx of talent you know that's intriguing to me well if that's what you're looking for then there's only one man to go to and i put it in the private chat but that's what must chat. if you're trying to get the, the Kansas, if, you're trying, if you're trying to get the Kansas faithful excited for football again, then you go get Will Muschamp. I mean, this is the guy, right? I mean, when we talk about some of the coaches that you have on this list, I don't think any of I don't think many of them are the recruiter that Muschamp has been throughout his tenure in college football. 
And so I think yeah, but all of them can win more games with with worse <laughs> recruits. So yeah, but we're not uh, we're not I mean, but we're not asking that. We're we're trying to put out. We're trying to be higher on Nick. So you just want to uh, talent I mean, edge list. Uh, <laughs> he's Will Muschamp is the ultimate stepping stone. He is the yes, ultimate our- stepping stone to a real coach. So I understand yes. what you're saying, but I don't think if if you're Kansas, the whole point of hiring Les Miles was to get a real coach in there. And look, he didn't succeed. It, no. Even before the creepy nonsense that went on at LSU and, and all, <laughs> yeah, all, all the stuff came out, he won three games. And I think right. someone on Twitter asked Nick today, you know, uh, if you put together a staff of people that you know, how many games could you win at Kansas uh, over three years? And Nick said one game, you know, uh, maybe one game, you know, and yeah. he said, and, he, and he I worked with work- FPS coordinators. <laughs> So it's tough. It's tough to win at Kansas, but it doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? So that there are there are stepping stones. We've seen you know teams in the middle of the country be successful. Iowa State is incredibly successful right now. Fair. You know, yeah. uh, Nebraska has. So all you have to do is title. hire. All you have to do is hire the next Matt Campbell. Yeah, all you got to do yeah, is yeah, find right, a needle right. in a haystack, and as soon as you find that needle in a haystack, you are going going to be able. Uh, to, to win some games, but uh, let's move on from Kansas. It's uh, it's a bit of a disaster right now. Obviously, we will uh, report back with more news once we do get uh, anything new on them. But uh, I like this. You know, Nick, you you kind of uh, talked about this article here. Uh, Ralph Russo of the AP compiled the number of super seniors who are taking advantage of the extra season of eligibility by team. So uh, kind of explain what the article went into and then uh, tell us the teams that are getting the quote unquote super seniors back because it's a brand new term because 2020 and 2021 has been COVID riddled. Yeah. And, and, you know, the AP put together a couple of different and Russo put together a couple of different uh, pieces on this. One of them was just a list of all the FBS teams and the just raw number of players who are expected to take advantage of this extra year of eligibility. That's, that's a big part of my life. The next three weeks is going through trying to dig, you know, roster by roster and and figure out now that March 1st has passed. And officially that was uh, the deadline for when seniors could uh, declare that they were staying for that extra year of eligibility. But we don't, you know, to my, to my knowledge, there's no, a specific list of every single player out there right now, you know, we have this list of the number of players, uh, you know, with each team. And, and then he did, you know, put a few notables here and there guys who, you know, are multi-year starters and, and things like that coming back. I'm a little more interested in, Hey, is that backup left guard going to be back? Cause maybe he was going to be a starter this year kind of, kind of thing. So that's, that's unfortunately the, the minutia I'm, dealing with here uh, this month. But, you know, it's good to see in in raw numbers that, hey, Utah State, you know, I I mentioned when we were going through in our our, uh, recap series, going through all our our end of season rankings, that I was pretty high on Utah State's potential for bouncing back, having 19 guys more than anybody else in college football take advantage of, of that extra year of eligibility could potentially go a long way. And, and knowing that they're going to have that uh, experience that they can lean on is potentially pretty valuable. Knowing that FAU's got 18 
uh, players for a, a guy going into a second year as a head coach there, Willie Taggart. That's a that's a pretty big deal, you know. For for Blake Anderson, his first year at Utah State, also at uh, Illinois, Brett Bielema's got seventeen. You know, the top three uh, as far as number of players taking advantage of this are, are guys who are uh, first year head coaches or, or second year head coaches. That is uh, the potential, at least, to, to you know give them something they can build upon is at least having a, a lot of seniors back who've you know played a lot of football or, or been part of a program for, for quite a while. But, yeah, everybody that's you know 15 or more, Utah State, FAU, Illinois, Toledo, Marshall, Southern Miss, Kent State, and Liberty, so a lot of G5s there. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, teams that did not have very many guys take advantage of this. Everybody that I, I counted that had three or fewer, uh, we've got BYU with one, Michigan, Maryland also with one, uh, Notre Dame, Alabama, Auburn all have uh, two guys expected to come back, and then three or fewer, Georgia, Stanford, Colorado, Penn State, Iowa, NC State, and Duke. So, you know, those are all P5 programs. So one thing that's going to be in my mind looking ahead is, hey, you know, uh, is there potentially a little bit of a, a chance for the talent gap or, or the experience uh, that's coming to some of these G5 teams help to, to sort of shrink the advantage of, of uh, some, you know, matchups against Power 5 programs because Power 5 teams are losing guys early to the NFL already. You know, Alabama's lost however many guys. Georgia's losing, you know, among the nation's leaders and, and guys leaving early. Notre Dame's losing a ton of seniors to the NFL draft. You know, are, are if there are any matchups with maybe one of these uh, real experienced uh, G5 programs or, or, you know, thinking a little deeper down the line, Duke having three guys uh, come back for that super senior year. There are four Duke players on the list. Uh, the two lists that we'll be talking about here in a little bit of guys leaving for the NFL draft and guys transferring out uh, just from the defensive line. So, you know, a situation like, uh, you know, a team like that is already not super talented, losing a lot of players, not getting a lot of guys coming back. I, I you know, have to think that Duke's uh, got some real trouble, uh, you know, really going to be. Uh, in trouble in, in a lot of games and, and, you know, even against some of these uh, G5 teams that we would normally think they're more talented than. But, you know, if they're playing one of these super experienced teams, it's just something something to consider. Not, you know, one, it's it's just a big problem, you know, this year compared to years past when we're doing our own updates. We can't just say, OK, this guy's a senior. He's out of eligibility. You've got to go through and, and try to figure out more of the details. So it's taking a little longer. It's going to be a bit of a headache for, you know, months. But, uh, you know, knowing these numbers just, you know, in, in raw terms, kind of interesting to, to think about some of those things as well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's these guys can actually come back and hang around for another year. They don't have to be like Matthew McConaughey in the parking lot of dazed and confused. This is for real. They're allowed. So, I mean, Utah State, it, it, they're going to be all right, all right, all right, right? Right, Xavier? They've got all kinds of experience now. <laughs> you know how my old saying goes: "Older garbage just stinks more." And I'm not necessarily, oh. <laughs> and I'm not necessarily calling the teams that had the most returning starter or seniors, excuse me, using the super senior, are garbage. But I mean, out of the top, out of the list here that we have of the most, 
Uh, Utah State, if I'm not mistaken, we've talked about them already in our in our 130 to, to one. Yes. Uh, FAU, we have not discussed. Yeah, we have discussed. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we have. Yeah. Yep. Illinois, we've discussed. Toledo, we've discussed. Marshall, we haven't gotten to yet. Southern Miss, we have. Kent State, I believe we have. Mm, and yes, yes. Liberty, we have not. So two out of those. Liberty, teams, I think. Didn't we do Liberty last time or no? No, they they got up into the forties. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, I, I, just because you're a super senior doesn't mean you know it's, it's going to be a, a great thing. A lot of these guys are probably coming back to help their draft odds because they they need it. Let's just put it that way. Right. Um, you know, so I mean, I think the super senior thing is great for you know for depth reasons, and I think that more importantly, I think it helps the teams that are at the top of the list. I think it helps them from a veteran leadership standpoint, uh, maybe, and we'll see, maybe the super seniors come back with an extra year. And these teams that are at the bottom of the list th- from this past year actually play better because they have super seniors. You know, we, we really, this is a, an unprecedented situation that we really have going on here that this is the first time we'll ever see something like this. And probably the last time we'll see something like this prayerfully COVID can stop. Uh, but yeah, so I think this is the last time we'll see something like this. So I think that uh, as far as this is concerned, I'm really excited to see what what can be made of this super senior situation. And I'm shocked. I'm genuinely shocked that more kids didn't use it. Even some of the teams that have the fewest, like uh, the University of Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, some of these fringe like four through seven rounder type guys didn't decide to come back and possibly boost their draft stock going into next year. I know there's always a risk of health when you come back and play football for another year. But there's There's also a risk of getting – of getting your job taken by, you know, someone much younger than you at that That's point. Fair. And then you That's have fair. no draft stock. So maybe at least some of these guys, you know, if they don't get drafted, they'll end up on some practice squads or uh, wherever. So uh, well, there's you know, plenty of backup offensive linemen who are ready to go become an accountant, you know? So, right. There's, yeah. there's that. That's the, the scenario that keeps popping through my mind when I'm trying to go through and update our, our team profiles. It's like, okay, well, is this guy, you know, hey, I've got an internship that I've got to, you know, That's I'm true. just ready to ready to move on. So there there are certainly going to be plenty of those. I imagine more often than not, and it seems like at the, at the G5 level, and especially in some of the situations, like it, it seems like there are higher numbers in the Pac-12. It seems like there are high numbers in, uh, you know, the MAC, for instance. Some, some of the, the conferences that came back late and only got four, five, six games, those guys didn't feel like, uh, you know, oh, that was that was my senior year. That was a great one to end on. I, I read a little bit, uh, you know, about BYU specifically. They only had one. Well, according to this list, they only have one. I count two, but uh, so so even you know this list isn't perfect necessarily. But um, you know, the, the the they played twelve games. So Kalani Sataki, you know, in, a, in an interview said, you know, for the most part, our seniors. And BYU is a little bit of a special case because a lot of those guys are, are a little older than your you know, normal college uh, football player. But um, a lot of guys were just ready to move on and, and you know, enter the job market or, or enter the adult world. So, you know, there are plenty of guys that maybe didn't get uh, a full senior season and decide, hey, I want to come back and, and really experience that. But then there are some who are who are ready to move on, too. So I don't know. It's 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 a bit of a mess. But. All right. So uh, Nick, let, let's oh, oh go, ahead. Wanna, go ahead. I did want to ask Nick before we go. Do you know exactly why service academies 
kids are not able to use the extra year of eligibility? Is that like in the contract in which they sign before that when they get to the service academies that they have to fulfill? And once they do that, they don't have the opportunity or do you know so, exactly the reason? So I don't, I don't know the specific correct wording of it, but, mm. uh, but yeah, you're right. Service Academy players are not eligible for that. And then that's, I believe the, the individual academies cause those guys don't redshirt either. So yeah. a, a guy who signs, you know, with army might go to the prep school for a year and that kind of counts as the redshirt year. But if a player plays as a true freshman at army or Navy or, or air force, uh, they will not get an extra year. They will not have, they don't have five years to play four. They have four years. So if, if they go to the prep school, that's a little bit different, but if they actually are at West point, you know, at the, the, uh, at army, then they don't, they don't get five years. You get four years and, and you're done. There's a little bit of a weird situation. It sounds like an air force. And I don't know if this is the case with army or Navy specifically, maybe somebody out there is, is, uh, knows all the, the technical uh, rules better than I do. But it sounded like Air Force had a bunch of guys who said that they were going to sit out last year. You kind of get a one-year, uh, almost sounds like a gap year type situation uh, mm-hmm. where they might they had a lot of seniors on defense coming back who ended up not playing and sounded like they might be able to return in 21. Again, you know, different schools have different rules and, and the service academies are – are uh, a unique case altogether. So that's, again, part of the, the issue, trying to figure out all the details. But, yeah, traditionally, and and, and then according to the NCAA thing, those guys are not – if you were a senior at Navy last year, you're not coming back in, in 2021. That that seems to be at least the, the you know understanding as I have it right now. All right, so there's been some action happening, uh, you know, uh, obviously with the FCS. We had New Mexico State – um, you know, put, play a couple games here, and they finished their two game spring season with a win over Dixie State. Nick, were you uh, did, did you watch this game? I you, you took copious notes, so I'm assuming you have. <laughs> so, I've, I've seen the box score. Uh, I did not have access to the uh, Fox Sports Arizona, I believe, is, is the uh, network that, that carried it. Channel 686 uh, on my television. I there you go. Exactly hey. where it is. That's where the Lucky, Diamondbacks play. Lucky you. I mean, you got to, you, you did have the ability to watch this game, but you also have to live in Arizona. So it's a little yeah, bit I also off. slept right through it. So <laughs> there was no way I was waking up to watch New Mexico State. So yeah, no, I, I, I took some notes on box score. I did get back because some, some uh, lovely person actually did put on uh, YouTube a couple of weeks after the fact, but the the game against Tarleton State, and I feel like I say that wrong all the time. I, I want to put the T too early, but anyway, so I did actually watch that, and it was worse than I expected. Oh, <laughs> like man. it was, it was so it was bad. But this this game, and hopefully that that same person will uh, put the the game against uh, Dixie State up on on YouTube as well. But according to the box score, things went a lot better. Obviously, they won. Uh, only won by a, a single possession, but uh, I, I was I'm also in the middle of, of doing the the stats uh, little piece in, in the Athlon uh, Sports preseason magazine. So I, I've gone through all my spreadsheets and everything the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, pouring over you know little notes, trying to write 25, 30 word blurbs for every. FBS team, and I've got to do them for teams like New Mexico State and Old Dominion and UConn too. Uh, so I, I did actually find one to, to do with New Mexico State. They 
had over 500 yards of total offense. They had over 300 yards on the ground. Uh, the first time that a New Mexico State team has, has uh, had 300 rushing yards since the 2016 season, the first time they've had 500 total yards in a game since uh, 2017. So, you know, two weeks ago we were talking about how May, you know, this was just maybe the worst thing they could have done was to play in the spring and, and end up losing, uh, getting completely blown out by an FCS opponent. But, hey, maybe they finished on a, on a you know, strong note, something to build on. Jawan Price had a kick return for a touchdown against uh, Charlton State, ran for 160 yards in a touchdown uh, against Dixie State. He wasn't – we weren't really expecting to, to – Know his name. Amari Samuels is the transfer from Michigan, supposed to be the running back. He's been hurt this spring. Uh, but hey, you know, Price, somebody to somebody to file away, you know, for for uh, next fall. Maybe New Mexico State's got got a couple of decent running backs. So, you know, I I, I personally feel a little bit better about their decision after uh, going through and, and winning a game and, and actually showing some promise on offense. But uh yeah, I mean it's you know, two games. Probably shouldn't put too much stock in it one way or the other, but uh, certainly to get a win and, and to have a little success offensively, uh, feel a lot better about New Mexico State this week than we did two weeks ago. And Xavier, I mean, obviously you are just champing at the bit to watch this game. This is the one that you had marked on the calendar. I'm sure you saw all of the highlights after the fact, plus the box score and the game, right? Uh, and he just sent the link for the – somebody did put it up on YouTube. I know what I'm doing. This <laughs> it's, it's, it's the full game, too. Um, hey, that's good. Looking forward to it. I guess, which I guess I have to watch myself because I did not watch a single snap of this ball game. Um, <laughs> and I guess to Nick's credit, there, there's a bit of a silver lining here for, for New Mexico State. Yes, they have a win under their belt. Yes, they were able to succeed offensively. But that's it. I mean, there's – I don't know how much you actually can pull from this. Yes, Nick, you do think about New Mexico State better than what we did two weeks ago after getting smacked by the FCS program. You're oh, absolutely so right, bad. but like, oh, like how much better do we think of them now than than we did last than we did two weeks ago? Like, you know, incrementally, you know, maybe a smidge better uh, than we did. But I mean, you're right for the kids. It's a, it's a confidence booster. It should be at least because you can't say that oh they're an FCS team because you got beat by one two weeks ago. You know, and this to, to to bring it even closer. Charlton State played Dixie State, and I think that game was closer than their matchup. And Dixie so, State won. Uh, yeah, so you know, you got it. You know, if we're gonna play that, if we're gonna play that card, then technically New Mexico State is better than Charlton State because they were able to beat Dixie State. Beat Charlton <laughs> State. So this I mean, is like the the Reddit belt. Remember where uh, whoever win, wins has the belt and all that stuff. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, it, it, it's a bit ridiculous. So to to go down that rabbit hole because I think Kansas held the belt at one time, according to all the <laughs> the ways that they did that. So that was uh, kind of crazy. It's like the Spider Man multiverse, right? That's kind of what it yes. gets down to when you start yes. doing that. <laughs> but I think it's just better and maybe healthier to just think, okay, it's maybe we shouldn't try to learn anything from it because yeah, Charlton State <laughs> destroyed New Mexico State. And then lost to Dixie State, who New Mexico State. So, yeah, it, do- yeah, it doesn't that, matter. It was free football. That's got you in a never-ending loop right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like you but, said, maybe, maybe just uh, ignore it for now. I did think that this was interesting, uh, Nick. That uh, Bob Stoops was announced as the replacement for Urban Meyer 
on Fox's show. Do you like that higher? I think it's going to be a pretty decent one. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe I, I read Bob Soup's Oh book. my God. How high did his voice <laughs> You did not. You do not think that, that is some, a good high. I've had, I've had some internet yeah. connectivity issues already today. I'm sure that's <laughs> what that was. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure I, that's I, it. I think that uh, I think Bob Stoops <laughs> could be good. I, I I read his book a couple of months ago and and enjoyed it. I did like Urban Meyer as an analyst on the Fox Show. I thought the Fox Show, from a you know actually talking about football standpoint was more enjoyable to watch before games than uh, college game day has been. I, I still like college game day as a show and it's just been a ritual to, to watch for so many years that I, I still do, but to actually, you know, hear uh, some smart football people talking about football, I think Fox did a little bit better job of that. And urban Meyer was a big part of it. So it's going to be somewhat difficult for Bob Stoops to, to step into that uh, because you know, don't know how he will be on television. That's always a little bit of a, you know, sometimes takes a little bit of a, an adjustment period. But, uh, you know, they, they I think, uh, have a pretty good setup. And you would think Bob Stoops being as good as he was as a, a college football head coach, probably a pretty good pick, I think. All right, look at that magical cut. And here we are talking about defensive linemen. And we're going to start out with transfers, of course, like we always do. And there have been some big names here. Big Cap Bryant going from Auburn to UCF. Uh, Corey Durden going from FSU to NC State. Uh, Ryder Anderson going from Ole Miss to Indiana. So uh, just, you know, kind of break down the defensive linemen slash edge transfers here, Nick, and who are the big dogs that are moving around here? Yeah, somewhat similarly to uh, the you know offensive line discussion we had a couple of weeks ago. You know, I think the the more telling aspect is going to be the guys who are uh, you know actually going into the NFL draft, and, and we have a pretty big list of those defensive line. It's a little bit difficult unless a guy was a starter or a big time recruit. Uh, it, it's a little more difficult to know, hey, is that individual player going to have a, a major impact at another program? Just because for the most part, you know, we, we look at box scores and, and stat sheets and a lot of times defensive lineman contributions are, are more difficult to pick up on unless you are actually uh, sitting down and then focusing on uh, the offensive line as you're you know, re-watching a game or something like that. And there's so many teams, it's, it's difficult to – to do that for every team. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a little, it's going to be a little trickier to actually, I think, be able to pin down most of the impact transfers on the defensive line trickier, at least than, you know, quarterback, running back, right receiver that, that we've mm -hmm. uh, discussed up to this point, but big cat Brian, I think is, is the big name. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that UCF was able to, to get him, I think is uh, really a, a big boost for them. He immediately becomes one of the best players in the AAC, just, you know, one of the best defensive players in the conference immediately. He was expected to land at Tennessee when, uh, you know, his former defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele uh, ended up there, uh, but that didn't work out. Ends up following Gus Malzahn to UCF. Big, big get. I think uh, Siaki Ika, who was at LSU is a player that we will actually see make a big impact. Uh, but again, it's going to be difficult on the stat sheet. He's, he is the ideal 
nose guard that Dave Aranda wants in, in his defense, something that really didn't exist uh, for Aranda at Baylor last year was a big missing piece for them schematically and what they want to do to bring in a guy like Ika, who Aranda, of course, recruited, you know, was part of uh, coaching and recruiting him to uh, LSU to be able to bring him in, insert him uh, into the interior of that defensive line, I think is going to be a big deal. Ryder Anderson was pretty productive at Ole Miss. And, and so for him going to Indiana, who lost a couple of guys to the NFL draft, I think that's big. Keir Thomas going from South Carolina to Florida State. Florida State had a ton of turnover. You missed, mentioned Corey Durden. They also lost three guys to the NFL draft. Keir Thomas, I, I think, you know, pretty big recruit, you know, former Will Muschamp, Muschamp guy, as, as uh, Xavier was mentioning earlier. So a guy who's, who's talented and, and has played a lot. Uh, I think is going to be a, an immediate starter there. Somebody who can can uh, you know fit right in and, and do some good things at Florida State. Iku Liotta uh, was, uh, if not a, a walk on, was a unrated player coming out of high school, but really you know became a, a really productive uh, pass rusher at Northwestern last year. He entered the transfer portal somewhat unexpectedly landed at Auburn. So, you know, a, a solid replacement there for Big Cat Bryant uh, and somebody who, you know, we'll see if, if he's able to take his game to, uh, you know, continue what he did at, at Northwestern, maybe even take it to a higher level uh, there at Auburn. And then there are a few G5 transfers that I think, you know, not too many of, of these guys are, are going to be uh, transferring from, G5 programs up to Power 5. Those have been sprinkled a little bit more in, in other position groups, it seems. But uh, three guys who, to my knowledge, have not made uh, decisions known as, as to where they're going to end up. Joseph Dorsius at Memphis is a 100-rated player, according to our VGR Plus player, uh, individual player ratings. He's he's good. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, Big Cat Bryant's a 100-rated player. That's as, that's as high as it gets. Uh, it'll be it'll be really really interesting to see where he goes. Uh, on that note, the more I'm seeing Memphis being involved in the transfer portal, both you know from a guys leaving and guys coming in standpoint, I'm a little. I, I think Memphis might be in position to take a, a pretty big step back next year. We'll talk about them in a few weeks in our, our recap series, but that just to note there, uh, George uh, uh, Silvanich. I believe is how you say it, from Air Force. Former offensive lineman became a, a starter on the defensive line last year. So one interesting thing, and Xavier, you, you had the question about service academy guys. They, If they stay all four years, that's all they get. But if they transfer, then you do actually get that extra year. That's why Isaiah Sanders transferred from Air Force to Stanford last year, became a short yardage goal line quarterback for Stanford. Uh, looks like, you know, Sobonich is, is – potentially doing something similar here. He was listed as a senior, uh, but, you know, if he, if he transferred out of the Air Force Academy would have a, an extra year, he, he was pretty good last year. And, and somebody who, you know, was a converted offensive lineman, they had to get really creative on defense. Interested to see where he lands. Uh, and then uh, Muhammad Diallo from, from Central Michigan. Uh, PFF grade through the roof, a uh, ton of production. He's somebody that, that really, really, uh, I think would be, you know, an immediate impact somewhere. The first name that comes to mind for me, and they had actually, you know, had a, a graduate transfer from Central Michigan a year or two ago, is Michigan. Michigan's losing uh, Pay to the NFL draft, but, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of turnover. Their defensive line was a big uh, 
issue last year. I think they ended up finishing in the 80s in our defensive line performance ratings last season. Uh, very small sample, of course, but, you know, obviously – uh, need to improve there and, and somebody like Diallo and, and he could play, you know, he could fit into a lot of big 10 schools. I was lost three starters up front to the NFL draft. Uh, Penn state's got a couple of guys that, that are going to be drafted relatively high. We think uh, there, there are some options for somebody like Diallo who, who had a lot of success at central Michigan last year to maybe move into the big 10 or, or another power five program uh, looking for some depth or looking for an immediate starter. So you know, not a, not a ton of real high-profile guys, but those few kind of stuck out to me as either they found a really good fit, uh, going to be an immediate starter most likely, or, you know, a couple of, of maybe under-the-radar guys who I think have some pretty big potential to move on and, and make an impact in a bigger program soon. Xavier, what are your thoughts about these uh, defensive linemen and Ed Trushers transferring here? Is there any, one in particular that uh, stands out to you above the rest? Yeah, I've got I've got two guys, uh, and I think that these these two guys I think are going to make big impacts, but for different reasons. Um, DeAndre Johnson transferring from Tennessee to Miami. I think this is a guy who was he was the team sack leader last year for for Tennessee. You know, he led the team in sacks and was tied ninth in the SEC with four and a half sacks last year. Uh, I think this is a guy who is getting there and, and progressed every single year. His biggest issue and my my biggest concern with him is he's a bit of a tweener. Uh, he's 6'3", 255, and uh, as good as he is rushing the passer, does Miami try to turn him into a pure outside linebacker? That would be yet to see. But regardless, this has been a productive guy and was a productive guy for Tennessee for, for the last two years. And so I think when you're getting a guy who, you know, was a three-year letter at Tennessee, you're just getting better. You know, the talent that Tennessee brings in year in and year out. So I don't think that, I think that's a win for both him and uh, Miami. The, the other guy is, is Niles Pinkney out, out of Clemson. I think this guy for another reason is going to be highly productive when he, uh, in transferring. He was not only a guy with 98 sack, uh, 98 tackles, excuse me, but he was also voted as the permanent team captain last year at Clemson. So you're getting a high character kid for a team that constantly and consistently made the CFB play, uh, the college football playoff and, all of the talent at Clemson, all of the defensive talent, offensive talent at Clemson, and he was voted permanent team captain. I think that shows the kind of character he's going to bring in. That immediately shows me that he's going to come in and lead from day one, and it's a guy that you can lean on, um, not just you know on the defensive line, but as a player. I think that's amazing. That's an amazing pickup uh, for Minnesota. I think that that's going to be a really good pickup for them as they need more depth in their uh, on their front four on the defensive side, especially senior late in depth with this kind of pedigree. Now, uh, when we look at last year and the top defensive line performances, there's, uh, you know, some schools that we're not surprised to see. I mean, Pitt has two guys that are going to be uh, drafted. So they were number one. Clemson was in, you know, uh, the playoffs. So not a surprise there. Colorado State, though, pretty good defensive line. Houston, uh, Georgia State, San Jose State surprises here the rest of the teams you know oklahoma notre dame georgia ohio state no uh no one's really surprised but then you know once again another position group you know all position groups are uh, important nick but um you know seeing i think we've talked about every single one of these bottom feeder teams middle tennessee stanford ole miss arkansas navy oregon state texas state kansas eastern michigan akron were the bottom 10 and that um, we've talked about all of them in our team profiles already, or our team breakdown shows from 2020, right? 
Uh, just about. And, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, Ole Miss is somebody we haven't talked about just yet. I, I have pretty high expectations for Ole Miss in, in 2021. It is concerning that they ranked 120th in defensive line performance last season, and they're losing Ryder Anderson. Uh, but, you know, they, they have recruited pretty well the last couple of years under Lane Kiffin, and, and you think uh, that they still will be able to win their fair share of shootouts. You know, Stanford is a team that makes me pretty concerned. They, they're losing a couple of guys to the NFL draft. Every It seems like every edition of this show that we've done, they're losing guys to the NFL draft, and they're not necessarily replacing them with, you know, a ton of highly talented Guys, they've certainly had their you know their fair share of high four star recruits and, and things like that, but not necessarily in in large numbers over the last few years. And things don't quite seem to be trending in, in the right direction there. So that makes me uh, you know a little bit concerned. Uh, but yeah, I mean you know it's 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 good. I thought to to take a look. Okay, what are the top ten defensive lines from last year? The bottom ten. What can we learn, especially if if they have some names on this list one way or the other? You mentioned Pitt. I mean, three guys, uh, you know, two, two at least we think will be uh, drafted. But, you know, we forget a little bit about Jalen Twyman who opted out prior right. to last season uh, in, in anticipation of the NFL draft. I know he wasn't on. Uh, I, I've been referring to Dan Brugler's top 100 draft board from January for uh, just sort of to, to give us a little bit of a baseline as to you know, which of these guys we expect will be relatively highly drafted. He wasn't on that list, but, uh, you know, uh, he's he was a big-time performer at Pitt. So, number one defensive line, losing three big-time guys, that that hurts. Clemson, you mentioned uh, Pitney's out here, and I, I think that he will be a, a, you know, a loss. He's a guy who was a starter there, will probably be a starter, uh, you would think, at Minnesota, especially since they finished 115th and defensive line performance ratings last year, but Clemson returns a ton. I mean, they, they've got uh, guys who took advantage of the extra year. They've got five-star guys who uh, are coming back after some really impressive true freshman seasons. So I think they'll be just fine. Colorado state pretty high on that list of uh, super seniors. They had double digits uh, coming back. And, and so just kind of interesting to see where these fall and then maybe some other teams of note, uh, you know, that, that you mentioned Miami and, and they've done a good job of uh, producing pass rushers of finding guys in the portal. Jalen Phillips, Quincy Roche, you know, were, were both one year transfers last year who became, uh, you know, all American type players and, and likely to be drafted. We think they also, uh, you know, Gregory Rousseau didn't play last year, opted out prior to the season, but all three of those guys are gone. So DeAndre Jordan coming or DeAndre, uh, excuse me, Johnson coming in, uh, one that Miami went after him pretty quickly, you know, makes you think that they, they've got a pretty high opinion of him. And, and based on their success in this area the last year or two, think that, uh, you know, that that he's going to be a good one there. He's, he's going to fit in and, and be productive. Uh, they were a top 25 defense, uh, defensive line last year. So, you know, some of the names, and, and we don't have to go through the entire list of who's, uh, opted out of the NFL draft. I will uh, pr- uh, publish this list for uh, our patrons just so they can can have it in front of them if, if they so choose. But, you know, uh, Georgia's losing a couple of guys, a couple of, of uh, pretty productive. Aziz Ojolari, uh, Brugler, I did see, had him as the number one edge, uh, you know, 
defender in, in his rankings at, at his most recent list. So that's a big loss, you know. Uh, Vanderbilt, of course, was was winless last year, but Dio Odomingo uh, is, you know, a top 100 guy. And, and so uh, not having him is, is going to be uh, difficult for a, a team that's trying to rebuild like Vanderbilt is. USC, a couple of pretty high-profile guys. Washington, pretty uh, high-profile guys. I mentioned Iowa's got three players that they're losing, including Davion Nixon, who was a, kind of a, a one-year wonder, but really blossomed into one of the best defensive linemen in college football uh, last year. Penn State's losing a couple of uh, big-time guys. Ohio State, you know, that that's something to consider. They're one of those teams that, you know, lost some guys early to the NFL draft, but also – uh, are not bringing back a ton of, of super seniors. And, you know, BYU is, is uh, number one on that list. They're losing three starters up front, including uh, Kiris Tonga, who, who I thought was, uh, you know, coming into last season, had some, you know, top 100 buzz as, as a defensive lineman, but uh, somebody that, that they will certainly miss. So there's there's a lot of, of big-time guys leaving and, and, you know, not a ton of uh, – big time transfers moving around. So defensive line, it seems to be a, a, you know, uh, an area to watch. There are certainly going to be some teams, especially at the top of our power rankings and everybody's preseason rankings where defensive line might be a little bit of a question mark, certainly relying on a a lot of uh, inexperienced guys with your, you know, specifically, I feel like, you know, your big time teams in the SEC, the big 10, little bit of the Pac-12, and then certainly, I think, in, in the ACC. ACC was hit particularly hard in, in the defensive line. And Xavier, you had one more you wanted to mention, right? Oh, no, no, no. That was it. Okay. It was All right. Two. I just wanted to make sure. So, uh, and as Nick mentioned, there are, you know, a lot of edge rushers. I don't think the, the defensive line depth in this class isn't being um, – you know, there's no Chase Young in this class. Yeah. There's no, uh, you know, generational type of a talent, but there's a lot of good talent in this class. And, uh, you know, Christian Barmore from Alabama is projected to be a first rounder. Gregory Russo, Jalen Phillips, um, you know, Quiddy Pay, obviously going to be a first rounder. Uh, on Wuzerki from Washington uh, is supposed to be in the first round. Jason Uwe is kind of on that. Um, mm-hmm. He's kind of on that fence. Boogie Basham is going to be a high pick. Tommy Togia is going to be a high pick. So lots of guys going into the draft, and we just see it every year, Nick. It's just more and more and more, uh, you know, underclassmen uh, opting out to go to the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and they're – yeah, I'm not a draft analyst, uh, but it, it seems to me as, you know, I just – look a little deeper on just this list of players and guys who are not, you know, highlighted as top 100 guys who are really productive at the G5 level. Tulane's losing 200 rated defensive linemen and Cameron Sample and Patrick Johnson, uh, neither of which it, it seems are, are, you know, super highly sought after uh, by the, the, you know, draft uh, analysts or, or what have you, but um, two really impactful players there at Tulane you know, Cincinnati's losing a couple of guys. Houston, Peyton Turner is is a top 100 type player. O'Brien Goodson at, at Memphis, uh, another, you know, uh, of those Memphis defensive linemen who will not be there in 2021. So 
yeah, it's it's something that's going to impact. I, I think so far of the positions we've talked about so far, it seems to me that uh, the the move the the guys who've declared that they're either going to the NFL draft or, or are not coming back uh, for whatever reason. We have retired in here. Clemson, Justin Foster was a former starter there. He's retired, medical retirement. Um, we also failed to mention that uh, Darian Kendrick is transferring from Clemson. Uh, that news happened last week. But, you know, the, it seems to me that, that defensive line is is going to be a position, maybe the, the most that we've talked about yet, where guys are leaving and there are a lot more questions as to who's going to be filling those spots. At, at quarterback, there's a lot of high-profile guys leaving, but we know – who the four-star guy who's, who's the heir apparent is. We know who, you know, the, the transfer who's coming in, uh, former, you know, former starter, former whatever. Uh, but defensive line, there's just, to me at least, seems like a, a, even compared to offensive line, we, we had, you know, several guys that we were talking about, oh, that's a 30-game starter who's, you know, moving on and, and going to be a, a, a plug-and-play type guy. Defensive line, those there are some of those. Corey Durden, you know, going from Florida State to NC State, he's a perfect fit to to replace Elam uh, McNeil. But those are fewer and farther between, I think, on the defensive line than they have been in, in other positions we've talked about. Who who's going to hurt the most? Is it is it Quiddy Pay Xavier? Is he the the guy that's going to hurt his team the most by leaving? I don't know. Because we, 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 would, we would suggest that a guy like Quiddy Pay would probably be the, you know, the biggest loss, you know, but I think, you know, a, a Jalen Phillips could be just as big for, for them, you know, but when I look at biggest loss, I don't necessarily even look at a guy like uh, Quiddy Pay. I look at a guy like Jalen Twyman at, at Pitt, who, you know, was super productive and for a team that doesn't necessarily flip talent like a Michigan does, you yeah. know, I, I think, you know, Chris Rumpf is going to be massive. Uh, you know, that's I think that's huge. Fashion. You know, yeah. and Victor well, Dubukaji. You know, we're talking. And yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but yeah, those two guys off to the, no, to the NFL draft, and then Duke is is also losing uh, Derek Tangelo transferring to Penn State. Penn State's a lot heavier in the transfer portal, especially on the defensive line this year than in, in years past. Uh, but then they're also losing uh, a guy to Michigan State, Drew Jordan. So arguably, they're four or at least four of their five best defensive linemen are moving on. I think I yeah. think Duke is going to be in a, a really difficult and spot. Then, and an honorable mention on that list has to be Marvin Wilson. I mean, he, for God knows how long, was the yeah. force on that, you know, Florida State, you know, front four. And he was kind of like the last – one of the last of the Mohicans last year when he was playing at, ten, at Florida State while all of his teammates decided to opt out to Maureen Terry and company. He kind of was like one of the only guys from, I think, the last team that went to – the college football playoff he was i believe he was a freshman on that ball club was uh was 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 there and kind of just like holding down the fort while the rest of his teammates were like i'm good i'm gonna focus on the draft so i i think when we talk about loss we have to think about obviously the biggest names but you definitely have to talk about the teams who are who don't flip talent nearly as much as these other schools uh which underperforming defensive line in 2020 was helped the most by the transfer portal uh, coming into 2021 here, Nick, which which team do you think got the biggest boost? Uh, well, uh, we mentioned that Minnesota was 115th and they got a fairly, fairly big name in, in Niles Pinkney. So I think that as as one particular piece 
uh, might be, you know, first that comes to mind at least. You know, we haven't even mentioned Joseph Osai at Texas. Uh, he left, was a consensus All-American. Texas, in a lot of advanced metrics, actually performed decently well, better than than I think we expected, or maybe even better than I, you know, even even realized at the time. Osai was the one guy I didn't have big issues with last year. <laughs> Constantly <laughs> making an impact, Osai was. And and they brought in a relatively unknown guy, Ovi uh, Agufo from Notre Dame, probably mm-hmm. was going to step into a starting spot. I mean, he was a you know he was in the two deep last year at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame uh, lost a couple of you know starters on on this list. Uh, so you know he's a he's a name to mention that that they were able to kind of offset a, a, a one of the biggest losses. Uh, you know, but, but Texas was a top 35 defensive line in our performance ratings last year. You know, I, I, I look at Kentucky and this isn't necessarily an answer to your question, but, uh, you know, they finished 75th in our performance ratings and they're losing two starters and they're like Xavier mentioned, not a, a team necessarily that has a, you know, the depth uh, of talent where they can just pull up the next guy like an Alabama, like a Georgia, uh, even maybe, a, you know, a Penn State or, or Michigan. I know that, that those two units are not quite as uh, deep as maybe they were you know, five years ago. But uh, Kentucky, I think, is still another level uh, lower. So for them to lose two starters is, is going to be uh, fairly difficult as far as replacing those guys immediately. I would say Iowa, you know, probably needs to dip into the transfer portal a little more. They did brought in a couple of guys from uh, Northern Illinois and then Nixon was a Juco guy. So they got creative in, in this group last year. Are they going to be able to, to repeat that? Uh, are they going to, you know, do they have guys that, uh, in reserve that they've developed who are kind of under the radar, under recruited guys that, you know, end up becoming first round picks as a lot of Iowa uh, linemen on both sides of the ball end up, end up being. So it's, it's a really interesting group. It, it, it definitely is. But as far as, you know, who, uh, you know, who, who was helped most by the transfer portal, I, I guess, uh, I guess NC state, I mean, you know, Durden is really, uh, if you're going to pick somebody who's had, success who's had a lot of experience who's pretty talented and you've got a big piece missing and, and McNeil was uh, a big time guy I mean I, I put him on an all-american list to, you know at the end of last season uh graded incredibly well according to PFF he was like one of the top five or ten defensive players in college football in, in several of their uh metrics so that's a big big loss for a team like that that doesn't have a ton of guys in reserve necessarily or at least we don't expect and for them to be able to land a guy like Durden who uh you know maybe didn't have a great year last year but uh you know 2019 was was really really good so that might be the you know the the big one uh or Ika Baylor just because a a guy who Baylor specifically was missing who is a perfect fit for what they want to do so there are a few of those guys scattered about but they they do seem uh, a little more rare defensive line. Xavier, who do you want to see ramp up the recruiting and grab someone on the defensive line? 
Oh, honestly, we like to see Georgia do it, genuinely speaking, especially on the outsides. I think they're losing a lot of talent on the outside. I think everybody talks about Aziz Ojolari leaving. But, I mean, one of the only people returning is Jordan Davis. And so, I mean, there's a lot of just out, outside defensive end talent, pure test, pure, pure pass rushers that we are losing in this offseason that we could definitely dig into the transfer portal and go find. Now, I know that the transfer portal might not have Georgia-like talent, but productive kids – at other universities are going to try to be equally as productive. I don't care about the whole talent thing. They might've been three stars when they came into college, a three star with three years of experience at either a, a low division, a low power five or a high G five can come in right away and be a contributor on a team that's going to be trying to compete for a national championship next year. Um, for me, the one I see that, you know, when I, when I look at the, the numbers that we have, I, obviously I think UCF could get better. I think big cat Brian was a huge get for them, but this is a team that last year could not stop a soul. And even with how good their offense was, their offensive numbers last year didn't dip all that much. Their defense just got increasingly worse throughout as the season progressed. And I think they could, and I think a big part of that was the fact that they couldn't get to the passer whatsoever. Uh, and it really, they really struggled to close out games last year. And that's a big reason why. And lastly, uh, I'll throw Indiana in the ring there. I think Indiana is a team that, you know, they just gave Tom Allen, um, an extension on his or a raise and an extension. Uh, so he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. And I think that this is a team that needs to build on the uh, momentum that they created last year. You've got some other teams in the big 10 that are, you know, leaning at the moment, you know, Michigan's in a very rocky state. Penn state's coming off of one of the worst years they've ever had as a university. Michigan state looks like they're not going to return back to form just yet. So Indiana can really take this time to push themselves to that, you know, tier one, high tier two in the big 10, if they can come, if they can, you know, progress from last season or if they have a, a similar season to what they did last year. All right. Is there anything that we missed on the defensive line, Nick, or do you think we got it all? Uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there, as always, there's, there's just not enough time to, to discuss everything. So try to put this <laughs> list together for, uh, for our patrons, so you can you know go through and, and see in case you missed uh, that uh, you know Teron Jackson at Coastal Carolina, All American type season last year. He's off to the NFL. They're bringing in a you know a couple of decent uh, transfers. We've got we've got all that listed for you in our FBS team profiles, but also uh, here as well. So do try to to fill in some of those gaps uh that that we did miss but you know always yeah there's there's uh there's there's plenty that that we have missed for sure but we'll we'll catch it as we talk about individual shame teams on, later on in our reviews shame Xavier, on you, you, you have forgot somebody more. you forgot somebody uh -oh, who was it who was it who do you forget i don't see jordan straichen on this list i have him listed as a linebacker so mm -hmm. so i did i okay. did kind of make okay. the late the late uh, I added edge later and added a couple of guys because Ojolari I actually have listed as a linebacker as well. That you bring up a good point in in our updates for 2021. Uh, we are doing something to to kind of. There's a little bit of a. Uh, this is maybe too much detail. People might be. Might be <laughs> but I don't know. So there's there's there are some situations where I, I felt like the linebacker position was carrying a little too much weight in our defensive team rankings and then ended up as a result boosting uh, their overall rating a, a little higher because, you know, some four, two, five teams, 
you only have two linebackers. And if they're both 90-rated players, then that's going to carry a lot of weight. So I'm, I am introducing one. I'm going to try my best to, to actually list more guys as edge players because we aren't necessarily seeing, you know, strict three, four teams or four, three teams or, or whatever uh, as much anymore. And also there are some hybrid type players like, you know, your, your three, four outside linebacker slash four, three defensive end. We edge rusher that kind of encapsulates it a little bit better, but also I'm, I'm including a front seven and a back seven rating to, to try to help offset that linebacker that might be carrying a little too much weight or if there's a position where you know they i have them listed as a three four team and only one of them is a really high anyway probably too much detail but (laughs) i am trying i am trying to to get a little more creative and 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 uh inclusive is not the right word but to do a better job of of uh capturing players that might be missed or might be undervalued overvalued by including edge uh, a little bit more so than, than defensive line and linebackers in, in 2021. But yeah, Strachan specifically, I, I did think about that. I probably should have thrown him on here, but I do have him listed as, as just a linebacker. So we'll talk about him next week and we'll talk about him tomorrow because Georgia State is one of the uh, between 71 and 80 in our, uh, in our recaps. Yeah. Yeah, anytime, Xavier, you think that Nick is not paying attention to a detail, you are absolutely mistaken. Come on, I thought what I caught him. thinking? I, 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 miss, I, I make mistakes every once in a while. And and this, again, is one thing that I'm having to do right now as I'm going through all the team rosters. I will occasionally, on accident, like delete a player from our team profile. So <laughs> sometimes, everyone, you know, our, our patrons, if that ever happens, are, are always on top of it and, and let me know. And I try to uh, try to, you know, get, get that person back. And as I'm going through and, and looking at snap counts and I gotta be honest, that's my biggest fear having access to the sheets is accidentally <laughs> moving something or like uh, messing up a formula somehow, or like, uh, you know, so, so when I look, I am, I'm pretty hands off. I just like, <laughs> you know, I'm just scrolling through the roster. I'm not hitting any extra buttons because mm. you work so hard on that stuff. So I, I don't want to, you know, accidentally screw something up. So no, I, I, I appreciate that one. Don't worry too much about it. I'm, I am worried about it for you. So I, <laughs> but I'm also a person that has 25 different tabs open at one time. And so I'll be right. working in one area and, and then, you know, clicking here, clicking there. And every once in a while, I think I'm writing like on one window, like in a word document or in an Excel or, or yes. Google sheet or whatever. And then I, it's not, it, you know, it didn't write where I thought it was. So I was like, oh, where is, where am I writing? And so I'm sure there have been plenty of times where I've like, oh, I need to delete that. And I end up deleting, you know, an All-American. And and then somebody's like, hey, why is it, you know, why is it Trisha <laughs> here? <laughs> he was, yeah. He's a 99-rated player now. <laughs> well, look, uh, we, we this is defensive line. Uh, we're, we're putting it past us. We got some. Uh, big time schools. I mean, we're getting to the more interesting schools now uh, moving are. on here. So we got Fresno State, Georgia State, K-State, Troy's in here, Colorado, Kent State. We got a lot of good teams uh, coming up on the show tomorrow. So be sure to uh, stick around for that tomorrow. And 
Uh, we will see you guys then. Remember to follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trist, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and we will see you guys tomorrow. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.